0: I think by now we've got a pretty good handle on this. This is our new vision statement. This is the congregational focus statement that we rolled out here last fall, being changed by God to love like Jesus. This statement, we believe, expresses our church's commitment to both transformation and mission. We believe this is what our God is doing this is what it means to be saved and called by God. He is changing us more and more into the holy image of his son so that we will more and more serve and minister to others in his holy name and in his holy manner. We think this statement sums it up pretty well. The, the first part of the statement is what God is doing in us, and the second part of the statement is what we believe God is doing through us being changed by God to love like Jesus. It's simple, but it's not easy. You know what I mean by something being simple, but not easy? Ask anybody in this room who's married. Saying I do is simple, but it ain't easy. Can I get an amen? I mean, when you say I do, you are signing up to be committed to that relationship no matter what happens. And by the way, when you say I do, you have no idea what's going to happen, but you're in. And when you're following Jesus, when you commit to discipleship and to spiritual formation, it's simple, but it's not easy. It's a daily walk, not a weekly sit. We've spent a lot of our time concentrating on the first part of this statement, and there's a reason for that. We believe the first part comes first, and the second part is more a natural result of paying attention to the first part. And so we've been focusing on these, what we're calling formation zones, knowledge, community, Christian practices, and mission. These are like the four basic food groups, okay? You need a little bit of all four of these things. You don't want to ignore any of them. And we believe as a church that God's Spirit works in these four areas to shape us into the image of Jesus. But we can't really foster a culture at GCR that pays special attention to formation without seriously considering a fifth thing. We're not calling this fifth thing a formation zone. Honestly, we're not sure what to call it. But there is a fifth factor. There is a fifth factor thing we need to pay attention to and when I was talking to Dan Morell earlier this week I said what would be a good way to portray this fifth thing this is what he gave me right here and I, okay I like that uh can you give me a little more and I got this right here so those are the formation zones and then thing five which is weird But it's not creepy. Now, this was creepy, what Dan gave me. (laughs) And we're not going to go with that because I'm not sure what that is. But uh, we're going to go with this right here. We're going to go with thing five. Formation thing five. It is a fifth factor in our spiritual formation. And it's hard to define. But you talk about this fifth thing every time you tell your faith story. I've heard you mention this fifth thing every single time. The crisis in your life, the major difficulty, the hard thing that happened. A really tough time in your life that shifts or even changes the direction of your life. These are are the big events and they can be good things or they can be bad things. Getting married is a big deal. Getting diagnosed is a big deal. Moving to a new town, losing your job, having a baby. Remember the original punishment for Adam and Eve. God said, I'm going to give you children of your own, right? So that's kind of a good thing and a bad thing. The death of a parent, changing churches, a family emergency, good or bad, These are stressful things. These are big things that all of us have to deal with as we live this life. And more often than not, God uses these crisis moments to teach us and to shape us more into the image of his son. He'll use the formation zones to do it. I think that's the the where and the how of spiritual formation. But these crisis times are usually the when of formation. Now, Just full disclosure here, just to make sure that that we've got this on the table, when it comes to your faith, when it comes to spiritual formation in Christ, these kinds of situations can go either way. A positive event in your life can strengthen your faith or it can weaken it. A negative experience can damage your faith or it can deepen it. Your relationship with Jesus can go south if things really get good and easy for you. But at the same time, people have rejected God in the face of tragedy too. Either way, life happens. Things change. And when they do, your relationship with God and your spiritual formation is almost always impacted. So let's look at that first. The thing, whatever it is that we're talking about, the thing always gets you. The thing gets all of us. You don't get out of this life without going through a thing. Can I get an amen on that? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Talking about these crisis times. And I think as you look back at your own life, I don't care how old you are or how young you are, you can see where you've gone through a thing or two and how it has shaped your faith or molded your life. And I think when these things happen, especially these these times of pressure, these times of crisis, I think you need perspective. You need a biblical, Christ-centered perspective. And I think Paul gives it to us here in the opening lines of 2 Corinthians, starting in verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul's talking about hardships. He's talking about pressure. He's talking about physical and emotional strain. He's describing a continuous crisis and he calls it a death sentence. He sees no way out of this thing. Whatever he's in the middle of, this is going to finish him off. There's no light at the end of the tunnel for Paul. And I think we see a crisis time like this. We get into some kind of a hardship and we see it as an unpleasant interruption, right? This this is an unplanned distraction and now it's wrecked my life. But Paul sees it from the divine perspective of the Father. Paul says, these things happen to teach us and to show us not to rely on ourselves, but to rely on God. Look at the perspective here. Paul says, I'm in a tough thing right now. I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, but verse 10, God has delivered us. God is delivering us and our God will continue to deliver us. Church, that's good news. You've got to put the, we've all got to put these crisis moments in their proper context. How do you really see what's going on? Are you paying attention to the big picture of what's really happening? Context, right? I can tell my wife, Carrie Ann, I love you. I can also say I love you to a complete stranger in the grocery store. One of those gets me arrested, okay? (laughs) Context is important, When we're facing these transition times, these crisis moments, we've got to reframe our view of what's really happening. Now, flip all the way back to Exodus 2. In Exodus chapter 2, you've got Moses, right? Moses is the prince of Egypt. He's an heir to Pharaoh's throne, maybe. At the very least, we know he's high up in Pharaoh's courts. He's he's in charge of all the government's building projects. And then Moses takes matters into his own hands. He kills an Egyptian because this Egyptian was beating one of Moses' fellow Hebrews. And word gets out, and now Moses' picture is on the Egypt post office wall. You know, he's wanted. And so Moses goes on the lamb, and he winds up in the desert. He winds up in Midian. Exodus 2.15, where he sat down by a well. Moses goes from the top of the pyramid to the bottom of the well in the desert in Midian. Why? I don't know. Maybe so he could hear God. That's the second thing. No matter what your thing is that you're going through, you can be assured God is at work in your thing. He absolutely is. The Hebrew word for desert or wilderness, the Hebrew word is midbar. The Hebrew word for speak or for talk is dabar. Same root word. God's people have believed for centuries that if you want to hear the voice of the Lord, you need to go to the desert. You need to go to the desert to hear God, to hear God speak, to be drawn to God. That happens in the desert. You're brought closer to God in the desert. When you're in the desert, that's where God molds you and shapes you because in the desert, you cannot survive without God. If God doesn't provide water, if God doesn't provide bread, if God doesn't provide shade, if God doesn't provide rescue, you are going to die. In the desert it's where it's hot and it's dry and it's, it's barren and it's hard and it's tough and you're surrounded by nothing but desolation. And most of the time, you don't know if you're even going to be able to take one more step. Maybe you're in the middle of a desert right now. Maybe. Are you? And I know there are people in this room who, if they were honest, they would tell you this morning, I don't know if I can take one more step without God. I am completely right now dependent on God, by the way, that's where God wants you. That's exactly where the Lord wants you. And by the way, this is where God shapes you. This is where he molds you and trains you in the desert, drawing you closer and causing you to depend on him more. You know, I'd like to say that when you find yourself in the desert, our Lord immediately turns the thermostat down to 68 and he causes a nice gentle breeze to blow. He does not do that. And we know this. Sometimes in the desert, the Lord will give you just enough bread. He'll give you just enough water. He'll give you just enough air to make it through just that day. We know this. God says through his prophet Hosea, he says, I am going to allure you. I will lead you into the desert and speak tenderly to you. The desert is where we hear the voice of God. Remember the Israelites, before they went into the promised land, they spent 40 years in the desert. And God provided for them manna and quail from heaven. God provided for them water from a rock The Lord changed them into the people he wanted them to be. We started our series on David this morning. Remember, David spent a big chunk of his life running for his life out in the desert, hiding from his enemies in the caves. And God provided for him and protected him at the oasis at En Gedi. And God trained him there to become the greatest king Israel's ever known. Remember Elijah in the desert, God sends an angel to bring him food and then God speaks to Elijah in that small, still voice and God forged Elijah in the desert to be the greatest prophet in Israel's history. Think about our Lord Jesus. When he is baptized, by the way, that's one of those transition moments in our lives, right? When he is baptized, he's driven out into the desert by God's Holy Spirit, And he is tortured and tempted by Satan for 40 days in the desert. But he is provided for by God. He is protected by God. He is trained by God for God's purposes. He is forged for God's mission. It took Jesus 40 days. It took Moses 40 years. I'm guessing your desert is somewhere in the middle. But it does take time. It takes time. You don't just wake up one morning and say, okay, today's the day. By the end of the day, I'm going to be completely changed by God and loving perfectly like Jesus. That's not how it works. Spiritual formation is not an instant thing. It is slow. 2 Peter chapter 1 says, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Verse five, for this very reason, because God has given us through Jesus, every single thing we need for life, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Increasing measure. Add to those things in increasing measure. It takes time. What does 2 Corinthians 3 say? All of us are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. It takes time. And that's why we think the formation zones are so important. Because a lot of our transition times, a lot of our crisis moments last a while. James Van Stavern, you're in the middle. You're at the start, really, I think, of a crisis time for you, a time of transition. It may last a while. Jimmy Brunson will tell you. It lasts a while. Patrice, I know I've seen you this morning. Where are you, Patrice? Patrice is at the start of a tough crisis time. And it might last a while. Karen Meek will tell you. It might last a while. And I'm watching James right now really pour himself into Christian community as he deals with the crisis in his life. I'm watching that. I'm watching Patrice McKinney pour herself into the Christian disciplines, those Christian practices. That's what she's doing. The death of her husband drove Karen Meek straight into the mission zone. And that's where she has stayed. And it's beautiful. And that's why this thing five is so important. And I think we need to recognize that it goes hand in hand with these formation zones. Philippians chapter 3 says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Here it is, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on. Even Paul knew he hadn't arrived yet. He was being changed by God to love like Jesus. He knew there was still more to learn. There was still more to experience. There was more to see. There was still more to do. Being changed by God is not a passive thing. It's not casual. It's not an accident. It's straining and pressing. The Bible makes Christian formation sound more like running a marathon than attending a Bible study. Verse 15 says, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. Take such a view of things. The four formation zones and this thing five we're talking about this morning, they really do go hand in hand. And a lot of us, over the last six or seven months or so, we've kind of been sharing our faith stories in our Bible classes and in our small groups and, and, you know, just sometimes over lunch or sometimes in a meeting. We'll be talking about our faith stories. And a lot of you have said, you know, the times when God really changed me, the times when God brought me closer to him, the times when my faith became a whole lot deeper were those really tough times, those hard things that happened in my life. And I would say, that's right, but I think if you'll do a little digging, you'll notice that that thing drove you to one or more of the formation zones. You know, there was a crisis in your life, and you read a couple of books, and you listened to a couple of sermons, and God spoke to you through that. That's knowledge. When your last child moved out of the house, maybe, You poured yourself into a service project and you began considering the needs of others more important than your own. And God spoke to you in that and changed you through mission. Maybe after the funeral, you started spending more alone time with God and with the Bible and you heard God in that and he changed you through those ancient Christian practices. Maybe when you started that new job or you moved to that different town, Maybe God put the exact right people right in your path to support you and love you as you were being changed by God in community. A lot of the time, these these crisis and transition moments, this thing five is the when of our formation, but the four zones are still very much the, the where and the how. And it works the other way, too. I think living in these formation zones prepares you to better handle life-changing moments when they come. Dwelling in these zones equips you with the right perspective, and it gives you the right tools to navigate the crisis. Remember, our Lord Jesus, he lived in the knowledge zone. He knew the scriptures forwards and backwards, and it strengthened him to resist the devil's temptations in the desert. Remember Jesus' commitment to the disciplines, to to solitude, and being alone with God in prayer. That gave him the confidence he needed when it was time to choose the 12 apostles. Remember Jesus' close community gave him the strength he needed before he died. And remember we see Jesus praying the scriptures from the cross as he died. That fifth thing drives us to the formation zones, and the formation zones help us handle the fifth thing. They do work hand in hand as God changes us. And it does take time. God does not mass produce his saints. We're not on an assembly line, right? God hand tools each one of us, and it takes time. That's the last thing. Let's pay attention to the thing. When the thing happens, pay attention to it. Romans chapter 8. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. The Spirit helps us in our weakness We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Many, many times over the last decade, decade and a half, many times I've been talking with somebody who's going through a really hard thing, somebody who's really going through a tough time, and I'll I'll ask them, I'll say, what do you think God's doing in this? Where is God right now as you're going through this? What is he doing? And you know what I hear almost every single time? Here's what I hear. I haven't thought of that. I hear that almost every single time. I haven't thought of that. You haven't thought of that. Maybe you should think about that. You're a Christian, you know? God has not left you. God has not abandoned you in this thing that's happening to you. It's not like God's on vacation and he can't see you until two weeks from Monday. That is not our God. God has never, ever left you alone. He is in this thing with you. Remember Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Why? The Lord is near. He is near. Where can I go from the spirit of the Lord? Nowhere. You can't. You can try. You can't do it. God is with you. Do not ever, please don't ever go through a major milestone in your life. Don't go through anything awful or really great in your life without thinking about how God is shaping you in that. When something really, really great happens to you, think about it. What is God doing with me in this thing? How is God shaping me in this really, really great thing? Because you know every good and perfect gift comes from our Father above. And you know that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So whatever he's given to you, he's asking you more to manage it. And so I think that's a good question when something really, really great happens to you. How is the Lord wanting me to manage this right now? What is he trying to teach me? What is he trying to show me? How is he trying to use me? And in the same way, when something really awful happens to you, something unexpected, something terrible happens to you, think about how God... Is forming you in that. You know that God is working in all things for your ultimate good. And you know that his strength is seen in your weakness. And so this is an opportunity for growth. This is an opportunity for witness. How is he wanting me to mature? How is God wanting me to testify and proclaim in this thing? Church, we should pay attention What then shall we say in response to this? Verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Listen to all these fifth things in this list, trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Can any of those things separate us from what God is doing in us and through us in Jesus Christ? Can any of those things separate us or keep us apart from what God is doing in us? The answer is no. Verse 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors. We don't just barely squeak by, okay? We're super conquerors. It's not even close. It's a rout. It's a blowout through Jesus Christ. My beautiful wife of 33 years, Carrie Ann, was diagnosed with breast cancer a couple of months ago on my birthday. And uh, wow, we're like, okay, fifth thing right here. We're in it. What's God doing? What's he going to do? We want to pay attention to that, right? So we spend two weeks down in Houston. We're at MD Anderson Hospital. Carrie Ann has the surgery. We're in recovery, still in Houston. Seven days after the surgery, the pathology comes back, and it's a little different than what they had told us. It's a little less certain than what they had promised. And we're learning now that when you're dealing with cancer, there's no such thing as 100%. It's just not there. And so we're in this fifth thing, right? And um, we're trying to answer those questions. We're talking about these things. What's God doing in us right now? What, what, what does God want to do? How does he want to shape us? How does, what is he doing? You know, I, Here's the thing. I've been preaching about this for 17 years. I've never preached in it. It's a little different, and I'm humbled by that. I think back to all the times I've talked like I knew what I was talking about when it came to people's crisis moments, no clue, no clue. We've gotten a taste of it. Now we're preaching in it. Two Wednesdays ago, we go to our first appointment here at Texas Oncology here at the Allison Cancer Center. Thank the Lord. We can do everything we need to do here. And, um, you know, <laughs> we're talking to the oncologist. And, okay, here's what the chemo is going to look like. Here's the room where it's going to happen. Here's the dates. Here's the medication. Here's what you need to do beforehand. Here's uh, everything that's going to happen and how it's going to happen. And, man, it was heavy. It was like, wow, this, <laughs> we're in it, you know. And uh, left Carrie Ann at the door so I could walk to the parking garage to get our car and come back around and pick her up. And uh, as I'm walking to the garage, I'm like, this is heavy. (laughs) And it just hit me. You know, sometimes you can be in the middle of something, but it only hits you. I, I can't explain it, but I'm bawling by the time I get to the car. I'm just, I'm a wreck just because it felt more real even than her surgery. I don't know. I, we've talked about it. I can't explain it. But here's what happened. I get to the car, and I'm like, well, i got to get my stuff together. You know, I don't want Carrie Ann to see me crying like this. I want to be strong for her and let her know everything's okay. I get in the car. I wheel around to the circle drive. I look, Carrie Ann standing on the curb. She's bawling too. You know, and I get out of the car, and I'm like, oh, babe, you know, why are we? What's wrong with us? And we're laughing, and we're crying. And because it's real, man, we're in this thing now. And we prayed And, uh, you know, we're going to be okay. Amen? Amen. We're going to be okay. But I'm telling you, and you know this already, this is not a journey anybody would choose for herself. This is not anything anybody says, yeah, I want to do that. But our Father in heaven has decided this is a good thing. At the very least, he has guaranteed us he'll be at work in this bad thing for our ultimate good. We believe that. And so we're paying attention. We want to hear what the Lord wants to say to us. We want to see what the Lord wants to show us. We want to receive from God whatever gift he wants to give us in this. And so we're really leaning into the formation zones. We're doing this on purpose. We are reading and and learning and listening to testimonials. We are fully engaged with this church family, and with our community of faith, and with our good Christian brothers and sisters at GCR. We're in the word and prayer together every day, and we're focused on ministering to others. We do not think it was a coincidence that two of the times we were down at MD Anderson, Ashley Reedy and her family were there at the same hospital at the same time. We don't think that's a coincidence. Here's the deal, church. The thing gets all of us. And God is at work in the thing. And we need to pay attention to the thing. It's just life. It's life. And when life happens, we can wring our hands and we can say, I just don't know. Or we can raise our hands to the Lord and say, you know, God knows. And we can align our lives with Christ Jesus. Right? We can join Peter and the apostles in proclaiming only you, Lord. You're the only one. You alone have the words and the way to eternal life. Father, you've got this, and you've got me, and you've got us. God's promise in Jesus Christ is that everything that's broken is being fixed, everything that's wrong, church, is being made right. That's His promise, and He proved His promise in the life and the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every single thing that's wrong, every single thing that is broken is being eternally fixed so it can live, so we can live in the presence of our holy God forever. You and your circumstance. You in your circumstance. So if things are not well with you today, Be of good cheer. It means God's not done yet. He's not finished with you yet. Our God is still at work in you. And church, that is good news. God is working in you and through you. And his spirit says that God will bring to completion that good thing he has started in you. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Amen. Amen. Stand with me, church. Listen, listen, we want to be a people. We want to be a people who live every single day like our God really is who he says he is and he's really doing what he's promised to do. We want to be a church that is committed to change, holy change in ourselves and eternal change in this world. We want to be a people, we want to be a church that knows God is doing incredible things in us and he's doing spectacular things through us and we want to pay closer attention to those things. We want to more faithfully expect those things and we want to praise God for those things and jump into those things with everything we've got. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Let's sing.